busy, but uh, a few weeks ago we started a new series on Pentecost, and we're leading up till next Sunday, which traditionally is classified as Pentecost Sunday through churches all over the world. So everybody's going to be talking about this topic. And so we talked about some of the aspects of the Holy Spirit and what it means to us as a, as a church, but as individuals. So we talked about a couple of things. We talked about one, we talked about the purification process, the life of purity, a life of purification. And if the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and it burns off all of the excess, all of the nonsense of our lives, and it reduces us to the, the, the nuts and bolts of who we are as Christians. And it's, a, it's an amazing, painful process, but yet produces a lot of really good stuff. And then the, the last time I was here, we talked about the, uh, the consuming aspect of the Holy Spirit and how, like a fire, it consumes us. Again, burning off the excess, but consuming us and drawing us into itself and therefore transforming our lives into the, the existence of God and, and making us more and more Christ-like. It's an amazing process, but again, a painful process at times. So today we're going to be looking at a third aspect. We're going to be talking about the illuminated life today. So the purified life, the consumed life, and now the illuminated life. We're going to be talking about the aspect of fire that enables it to light up a room, or in more specific terms, to light up the world. And so we're going to look at a lot of scriptures I was going to say I apologize for that, but I'm not going to apologize for that because that's the nitty-gritty of the, of the message. It's the Scripture that transforms lives, right? So we're going to do a little walk through several different um, books of the Bible, beginning with Genesis, and just do our best to talk about these nuances. In Genesis 1, 3 through 5, it all begins this way. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty, or void, and darkness... Uh, was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. So here's the first fundamental thing we need to understand about the world we live in, is that you have two elements, you have darkness and you have light. Now, I know a lot of you probably were terrified of the darkness when you were a child. Some of you may still be terrified of the darkness, in those cases, it's usually because of the movies you watch, but we're not going to be judgmental today. I've seen those movies too, but they just don't scare me anymore because I'm tough and I have faith in God. But, but here's the thing. Darkness is nothing. Darkness is not a thing. It is not an it. It is nothing. It is the absence of light. That's the definition of darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. So because it is nothing, it is defined as the absence of something. And in this case, it's light. So where there is no light in the world or in your part of the world or in your home or in your life, it's because there is an absence of light. If you ever experience a dark point in your life, it's because there is an absence of light. We'll make that perfectly clear. In the creation... Everything was darkness. Everything was darkness in creation. But what it says is, is that in the midst of the darkness, the Spirit of God was present. God is light, but he was in opposition to the darkness, and the darkness was everywhere. 
And it says that God spoke and said, let there be light. And it was. And God saw that the light was good, and therefore he separated the light from the darkness. He pulled the light out of the darkness, differentiating the two. The light was classified as good, which by definition or by just observation means that the darkness would represent that which is bad, right? Light is good, darkness bad. And he separated those two, and he called it the first day. And then in Genesis 1, 14 through 19, this is on day four of creation. He says, let there be lights, plural, in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Now, many people would read that and say, no, that doesn't make sense. On day one, there was a light. And on day four, there's two lights. And on day four is the sun and the moon. So if those are the lights he's talking about in creation, then what is the light on day one? Well, John 1 would tell you that Jesus is the light of the world. And in the beginning was God, uh, was the Word, and the Word was Christ, the God. And he was there in the creation of the world, and nothing was created that wasn't created through him. So we know that Christ was present throughout all of creation with the Heavenly Father. But on day four is when the two lights were created, one for the daytime, one for the nighttime. And look at the distinctive words here. It says that the greater light was to govern the day, and the lesser light was to govern the night. He also went on to say in this passage that he gave them to govern and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and he labeled it the fourth day. Now, when we skip ahead, now some of these I might talk a little bit more about, but I just want to set a foundation here. In Exodus chapter 13, it says that when Pharaoh agreed to Moses to let his people go out of the bondage of slavery, it says that God did not lead them through the Philistine country. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. And by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud in order to guide them. And at night, a pillar of fire, I lost my place, sorry. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light. Now keep in mind as we go through all these that we're talking about Pentecost Sunday. And we're talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit that descended upon the church and that appeared like tongues of fire that that rested upon their heads and remained upon the believers. So in Exodus 13, he's saying that during the day, it was a pillar of cloud that guided them. And at night, it was a pillar of fire, which was there to give them light. In other words, to illuminate the path that they were on. So when we look at Pentecost and we look at the fire descending upon, and these were tongues of fire that that appeared to be tongues of fire, we have to understand that the purpose, one of the purposes of the presence of the Holy Spirit is to guide and to illuminate our paths before us. So that as we go through this life, we can use the light of the Holy Spirit, of this flame, to illuminate our path and to keep us out of trouble, right? Right? 
And, and so that is one of the, the perks of being uh, in the Spirit. He also said that neither pillar ever left its place in front of the people. In other words, it was always there illuminating their path and guiding them on the path that God wanted them to follow. The other interesting point of this is that God led them. He never got behind them and pushed them or drove them in a particular area that God always goes before his people. He always goes before his people. If God is calling you, for example, just as keeping it real, to to start a new job, he's already there preparing the people and the place and the location for your appearance. He's been working on it maybe for years before you ever knew what was going on. He is always at work in front of us He's not concerned about behind us, but he always goes before us, and he will never leave. Now, we still have free will, so this is where we get into into trouble, is that God is illuminating the path, but we like to think, God, I'm too smart for that. I don't need your help. Let me figure it out myself. I don't need you today. And so then we say, I'm going to go this way today, and I'm still going to get to the same destination. And God's like, sure, go ahead. You know, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. I'll be here to help you pick up the pieces when you're done. And when you're there whining, I'll be there to listen to you. But, but this, is, this is our call a lot of times. And we don't use our common sense to follow the illuminated path. It's just crazy stuff. In Isaiah chapter 10, verses 16 through 17, another interesting passage in this theme. It says, Therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will send a wasting disease upon his sturdy warriors. Now this whole context in Isaiah chapter 10 is talking about the other kings of the world who are patting themselves on the back and taking the credit for their conquering of Israel during the time of their discipline, their punishment. And so God is like, really? I mean, you're going to take credit for this? I'm punishing my child. I'm giving you my children as an offering to you. And you're going to take credit and pat yourself on the back and say, well, I did this by my own strength. So God's like, you know, you all are ridiculous, but that's okay. You don't have faith in me, and I'll give you, I'll give you that. I didn't pick you because of your spiritual integrity. I picked you because of your mighty size and your ability to to take my children into captivity in order to teach them the lesson they need to be taught. But it says that um, under his pomp, a fire will be kindled like a blazing flame. The light of Israel, who is the coming Messiah, that he will become a fire. Their holy one will become a flame. And in a single day, it will burn and it will consume his thorns and his briars. Again, a prophecy about the type of death that Jesus would have to go through. But this is all in opposition to the kings of the world thinking that there's something they're not. Thinking they're more, uh, more able and more strong and more wise than they really are. And God just wants to make sure there's a very clear message that the Messiah is coming, and then we will see true wisdom. We will see true power, true true strength. We will see true salvation. 
But look at the, the metaphors. The light of Israel will come as a fire, as a flame. In a single day, it will burn and it will consume. That's good stuff. That's Pentecost to me. The next passage, which I forget where it comes from, comes out of John chapter 1. Now, we're going to start getting some good stuff here, okay? In John chapter 1, this is the beginning. It says that in him, the word, Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So Jesus, this light of the world, is also, once it's put into his children, is going to become their life source. So not only is it going to illuminate their lives, it's going to, or their path, it's going to illuminate their lives so that they are a path to others. When he puts his spirit, his fire inside of us, then others can follow us down the right path. Do you see what I'm saying? So this light inside of us is the life of men. And then it goes on to say this, and this is the sticky part, that the light shines in the darkness. And when light comes into the darkness, the darkness evaporates, right? I heard an interesting quote. I think it came from T.D. Jakes. He said this, you can measure light by how fast it travels. They call it the speed of light, right? But have you ever heard anybody talk about the speed of darkness? Because it's nothing. It's a nothing. It's a, it's a non-issue. It's a non-concept. But light is the dominant presence. And when light comes into a room, it evaporates immediately because darkness cannot stand in the presence of light. Darkness is nothing to be afraid of, in other words. So when the light comes into the darkness, the darkness evaporates, but then the people who are evil in this world and have practiced evil deeds, they freak out because they want to hide from the light because they don't want their sin to be exposed. And so when the light comes into the world, they go scampering, trying to find a place, a dark place to hide. It's like cockroaches. I don't know if you've ever lived in a home with cockroaches. We had them. And when you would come in in the middle of the night and flip that light switch, they would scamper. And that's just like people who are not secure in their salvation and haven't been brought over to the good side. And they freak out whenever the light of Christ is shining upon them. So the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now remember... Uh, when we talk about understanding something, we're talking about uh, having knowledge of something, an intimate knowledge of someone. So when you say, I know God, you're basically saying, I know him intimately. I know all about him. I know who he is, where he came from, what he wants from me, who he is in my life. I know him. And so when you don't know, it's called ignorance or a lack of understanding, And so in this case, those who live in darkness don't understand the light. Now let's look at Pentecost one more time. When the flames that appeared like tongues fell upon the heads of the believers and remained upon them, those who were living in darkness freaked out. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what was going on. They were afraid and intimidated by it. 
They were afraid to go near it because this was a foreign substance to them. Now, they have candles at home that burn on the fireplace mantle. And, you know, they have the romantic candles around their bathtubs at home, I'm sure. But this was different. And this is one thing that is very obvious even today. When the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody, sorry, when the Holy Spirit comes, some people are going to freak out because they don't understand it. Why do they freak out? Because they live in darkness. If they lived in light, they would appreciate the light, enjoy the light, and embrace the light. But when you live in darkness, you don't have that capability. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever done this. It's possible. I mean, among you all. I've seen it. I've been there. But if you take a believer and you put them into the most ugly of situations, the most dark of darkness, perhaps we'll just use as an illustration just a really nasty-looking, sketchy bar, and you a, a, put a spirit-filled Christian, a preacher, for example, or, or a deacon or an elder, and they would just go in there to maybe witness their Christian faith to whoever will listen, you're going to have a, a plethora of responses There always will be people who, um, through their intoxicated voice, will declare, yes, I've been a Christian all my life, and I love God so much, I love him, and a lot of times they'll do it with tears. It's amazing when you go into a bar how many people love Jesus. You know, I don't know how much lubrication it takes to get to that place, but everybody, some people will even be Christ. Yeah, I've seen that happen too. Some thought they could walk on water. Some thought they could walk through a window. I've seen crazy stuff. But the point is, is in the darkest of dark, they don't want the light there. Because the light will illuminate their pain, their suffering, their sinfulness, their brokenness. They don't necessarily want to have fellowship with the light. We have to understand that. And so it says this, that there came a man who was sent from God and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him, the word, Jesus, through him, all men might believe. Now, remember, at this point, the light hasn't been distributed into the heart of believers. And so John didn't have that experience. So he came as a testimony to the light that is to come that will bring salvation to all men. He made it very clear because people would ask him, are you the light? He would make it very clear, I am not the light. I am not worthy to even loose the sandals of the one who's coming after me. I'm not worthy. And he said this word, this this message, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. The true light, not a replica light, not some kind of an image of the light, but the true light that he was going to be coming into the world for every man and every woman. In John chapter 3, it says this, Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Can you imagine any person 
the light of the world, the light of life comes into the room and illuminates the room, drives out all darkness. That light is standing right before you. And can you imagine that people would actually reject it because they don't understand it? They don't, you know, they can't perceive it and they go scampering into their dark corners all because they do evil and they hate the light. People actually hating the light. Now, this is an interesting concept. I had to learn this with my five brothers. Uh, Mom would say, tell your brother you love him. I said, Mom, I don't love him. I don't like him. He beats me up all the time, makes fun of me, calls me names, you know. Sorry about that. Anyway, so I don't love my brother. And she says, no, if you don't love him, that means you hate him. And the Bible says that if you have the hate of any brother, that the love of God is not in you. So it is not possible for you to hate your brother. And I'd say, all right, then I love him. I don't want to, but I love him anyway. But that has always stuck with me. Those are your two options. There's no gray area in between. You either love a person or you hate a person. And how do you know the difference? Well, when somebody loves you, you're going to know it. You're going to see it. You're going to sense it. You're going to feel it. You're going to know it. This person loves me. And when there's a person who doesn't love you, you're going to know it. They're going to talk bad about you behind your back. They're going to rub your, run your name through the mud. They're not going to support you. They're not going to encourage you. They're going to lie to your face. They're not going to follow you. They're not going to be there at your birthday parties or your wedding uh, celebrations for your kids. They're not going to send you Christmas cards at Christmas time because they don't love you. We know who those people are. We see it. We, we sense it. We feel it. We hear it in their voices. We know when somebody hates us. Do you think you can fool God? Do you think that you can fool him? It says that light has come into the world, but men loved darkness. They loved their sin. They loved their broken life more than they, in some cases, they can't even fathom what life in Christ would be or light and, or living a, light of, a life of light would be. But they're so used to living in their sinful plight that they just keep returning to the vomit, which is a biblical metaphor. You know, doing addictions counseling, I I couldn't understand it. I was an addict at one point, um, but luckily God intervened and changed that from me. So I didn't have to go through the process of going through treatments and trying to get myself by my own strength off of a substance. I never had to do that. But I would always be amazed when a person would go six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, clean and sober, and yet the minute something stressful happens, they go right back to the vomit. Why is that? Was it because they loved it? Or was it because they were just familiar with it? Either way, everyone who does evil hates the light. Everyone. Here's a quick litmus test to see if this is true. If I, if I were to be privy to this information, and sometimes I have been, if I were to know, for example, what you did last night, stuff that's not very flattering, stuff that God himself probably wouldn't be real encouraged about, 
I'll give you an example. One time I, in one of the churches, we, we had a person that would help with the service. We called him a liturgist. And they would come and they would read the verses. They would uh, take up the offering, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and so one day, the liturgist didn't show up. And he was very faithful. And, and so he comes in about 10 minutes left in the service. And I, I'm like, dude, what's going on here? You know, of course, that's right after the sermon. And we're doing the closing. He says, sorry, man, I can't tell you. And I said, no, I want to know. It's got to be good. And he says, well, I was out partying with some friends. I was on my motorcycle. I was coming home. A cop came behind me. I didn't want to get pulled over. So I took off and was in a high-speed chase. And um, this is a little county uh, town. So this kind of stuff, politics, you know, we're pretty loose there. But anyway, he said, I spent the night in jail, and they let me go this morning, and I have to go to court this week. Um, it's just crazy, the stuff you hear. But sometimes, you know, if, you, if I were to mention that to him, he would be all upset and offended with me. What, are you judging me? No, I'm just telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I read in the paper. But people get so offended. I, I, one time I had a person that hadn't come to church in like three months, and I sent him an email and said, been missing at church. And I got, man, I was just abused because how dare you? Don't you think I'm quite aware of the fact I haven't been to church in three months? I said, I'm just telling you I missed you. If I didn't do that, then you would be blasting me because I didn't check on you. But some people, if you shed light on their darkness, you're going to get a fight. But listen to what else it says. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Because that's what the light of Christ does. It shines in the midst of your darkness and it exposes everything that was previously hidden. And that scares the thunder out of a lot of people. That's why, that's a big reason why I try to air all my dirty laundry. Even if you don't want to hear it, because I don't want you to find out about it elsewhere. I don't want you to learn from the newspaper or the TV or whatever. But because of fear of their sins being exposed, they hate the light. And they maintain a hatred of light. Let me just be the first to tell you, if you've never heard this, you're going to be discovered anyway. You can hide nothing from God. He knows everything with 100% clarity, 20-20 vision. He knows everything you're going through, every thought you have, every deed you've committed. He knows it all. So why in the world would you keep hiding it from him? He goes on to say, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light by choice, voluntarily comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And, and I know a lot of people say, you know, I've, I've done some stupid stuff and I don't talk about it because it makes me look bad. Just remember that that's not your story. That's Christ's story of redemption in your life. You need to air your dirty laundry sometimes so that people can see how God stepped into your darkness and transformed it with the light of himself who now has given you life, abundant life. 
And that is his story of redemption. So there's an obligation on our behalf that we tell people what we've been through so that it will give hope to people who are going to follow a similar path. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke again to the people and he said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm not going to talk about this one because I don't think it's necessary. But let's look at uh, two more little passages in 1 Corinthians. First one in chapter 3. And while you're turning to this, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, because when the light comes into your situation, when it comes into your life, it's going to do things that's going to show itself to you that this is God. All right? So when the light shows up, you have to expect to get warm fuzzies. You have to expect that you're going to get your mind blown, okay? When God shows up and his light shines into your darkness, you just have to know something awesome is about to happen. Well, you know that every time we go on these mission trips to wherever we go, that we like to schedule a church that we can stay at on the way, usually over halfway somewhere, so that the next day we have like a three or four hour journey to get to our destination, right? Well, because we're going to Denver, Colorado, do you know where that puts us? In Nebraska, right? The armpit of the world, right? No, I'm kidding. Some of you might be from there. <laughs> it's a lovely armpit. <laughs> but, but here's the point. Here's the point. So I looked on the map, and I'm trying to... to I realize there's like half a dozen Christian churches in the whole state of Nebraska. All right? But the one that I found that was relatively close was in a town of North Platte, Nebraska. Uh, a small country church, kind of like this one. Uh, I looked up the website. I saw the pastor and his wife. They're older than, than Paige and I. And um, uh, he had gone to Ozark Christian uh, for his MDiv, and he had also gone to Lincoln Christian for something else. And so I'm like, hey, dude, just happens to be your Lincoln Christian guy here. We need your help. I never heard back from him. So that's why I had to go reach out to other churches. Never heard back from him. So we decided, I decided... When I get back from our Dallas trip last week, I was just going to make some calls, find a place for us to stay, right? Well, we go down to Dallas, and we're meeting with the Nexus church planting people who are doing this assessment and training stuff. And, and so there's four couples there. Uh, two of them are relatively young couples. Two of them are kind of older couples like us. And so we're doing these, these opening things, projects, to help us to get to know each other and that kind of thing. And so we're working with this other couple, and, uh, and I, I say to the wife, I say, so where are you guys from? And she says, North Platte, Nebraska. And I said, shut up. I was shocked. Shut up. And she says, what? And I told her, well, we're looking for a town to stay in halfway to Denver, and North Platte is like the most suitable place. And she's like, all right, you found us. And, and I'm like... I'm thinking, about, well, maybe there's more than one church. And so I'm going through my mind. I think, no, I looked up there. It was them. We went all the way to Dallas to meet a couple from North Platte, Nebraska, who was older than us, but is also interested in church planting. And here they are right in front of us. And he's like, oh, well, that was my, my secretary's email. I never would have gotten it. But you're welcome to stay there. We have showers. We'll even cook breakfast for your group. And that was just, it's just mind-blowing, isn't it? It's just mind-blowing. So we just know 
that Christ is in that. The light of Christ is directing us, illuminating our path through North Platte, Nebraska to Denver for this mission trip. It's going to be amazing. It's just amazing already. So anyway, two passages, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. It says this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building upon it, but each one should be careful how he builds on that foundation. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That is the only suitable foundation. If you don't build upon Jesus Christ and his principles, his tenets, uh, that faith system, then you're building on sinking sand is what the passage in the song says. And when the waters come, your house will sink in the sinking sand. So you build upon the foundation, the rock of Christ Jesus. It says, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. How you build your life, your family, the the values you have, the, the, the faith structures you have in place, at the end, when you go through the final test, it is all going to be shown under the light and scrutinized. And if you built with with cheap products like hay and straw and and grass and dirt, it's going to be revealed as inadequate and cheap and worthless. But if you build with steel, with strong stones and with, with pillars of gold or silver, then you're going to persevere even longer. It says it will be revealed with fire. And as it already mentioned, the light will shine upon it. The fire will purify it. The quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will only be saved as one who is escaping the flames. It just makes you ask the question, when you get to heaven, do you want to crawl over the finish line as a man escaping the flames that are about to devour you? Or do you want to run through the finish line without a sweat on you, without a stress in the world, embracing the love of Christ once you get there and hearing the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. One more little verse. This is just one verse. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness And he will expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. Every one of us have motives. Your motives determine what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, and with what attitude you're going to do it. Your motives may not be exposed here on earth or on any given Sunday morning, but your motives will be exposed prior to your advancement into your eternal home. God will expose those motives, whether they're godly or ungodly. He will expose them. He is not going to be fooled. He knows it. And let me just add this one thing from experience. You're not as crafty as you think you are. You may feel like you've been fooling a lot of people, but those people love you, and that's why they don't say anything. We know you're suffering. We know you're struggling. We want to help you, but we're afraid to say anything because we don't want to get slapped. 
We don't want to get kicked or blasted. But we love you. We just want to help. So come out of the darkness. Live in the light. It will radically transform you, and you will experience abundant life for the first time. In Christ we pray. Let's go. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will...